Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org. Well, welcome to our episode five uh, Beyond uh, with Beyond the Fence Line with Texas Agricultural Land Trust. And uh, this, this episode, we have Cy Cook with us. Um, size the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Director with Texas Farm Bureau. Uh, welcome, Cy, and appreciate you joining us today. Great pleasure to be here, Chad. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks again. And, and uh, uh, I always joy, enjoy my conversations and, and uh, with you about agriculture and your insight. And I know today is going to be uh, wonderful and our listeners are going to enjoy um, your insight, your, your insight, as well as Texas Farm Bureau's insight. So, you know, maybe we start off a little bit, Cy, of giving us an overview of Texas Farm Bureau and the history and its purpose. Great. It's a pleasure to do that. Uh, describe an organization that I've spent a career working for. A Texas Farm Bureau was established in 1933, and the purpose was to address the needs of agriculture and in rural Texas. So this outfit is 87 years old. Right now, we have uh, in excess of 500,000 member families here across the state, and we're the largest general farm organization in the state and one of the largest, largest in the country. And, and by general farm organization, I mean we represent all commodities. Um, our mission is to be the voice of agriculture, and we do that on many different levels. Uh, farm Bureau is local, state, and national in scope. We have 207 organized county farm bureaus uh, across the state. Uh, Y'all know that there's 254 counties, but a lot of counties don't have enough population to uh, have a farm bureau. So we have 207 organized offices and each of those county farm bureaus is governed by an independent board of directors comprised of ag producers. So we have about 2000 ag producers across the state that direct our organization on the county level. Of course, on the state level, we're officed here in Waco, and um, that's where our administrative headquarters is. And on the national level, we're also a member of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, there are 50 state farm bureaus, and they're all members of the American Farm Bureau Federation. So that allows us access to uh, officials at the local, state, and national level. And um, we try to <clears throat> be a, an effective voice for agriculture on all those levels. Yeah, thanks. Thanks with that, Si. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think of that many members, and you know, I'm a proud member myself, and have been for 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 a long time. And um, you just, it's a great organization from a state level as well as a national level. You know, when you kind of think about it, Si, you mentioned you know you've you've basically spent your whole entire professional uh, career with Texas Farm Bureau, um, so. Maybe what has changed and um, some of the trends that you've noticed kind of during your tenure? Chad, I, I have spent my, my working for somebody else career at Texas Farm Bureau. I've been here 33 years, but I want to go back a little further than that. I started with this outfit when I was 27. Before that, I was a full-time farmer and rancher. Uh, after getting out of college, which, by the way, was paid for through agriculture, uh, I farmed and ranched. So I've got, a, I've got a good focus on, on, on what it means to make a living in agriculture. As far as what has changed since I've worked for this organization, 
I'll tell you some of the things that I have seen. Ag production has consolidated. I, I do see that we have fewer full-time ag producers in the state now. There are fewer folks that make 100% of their living from, from full-time production. There are also far more part-time producers than there used to be. There's a lot of people <clears throat> that still have a, a vested interest in agriculture. They may have a set of cows, they may farm and ranch on the side, and they may have other jobs. So those are two of the trends that I see have happened in, in the last 30 some odd years. Let, let me tell you about some things though that have not changed. Uh, and I don't think they've changed in, in 50 years. And that's some of the things that producers have to deal with and some of the things that this organization deals with. The number one thing that we dealt with 50 years ago and still deal with today is profitability in agriculture. Agriculture has to be profitable. We also deal with water rights. We deal with private property rights. And ag producers also have to deal with taxes and regulation. Uh, every year when our Texas, or every other year when our Texas legislature meets, you kind of see those issues pop up, talking about budgets and that type of thing. And it makes no difference if it's 2020 or 50 years ago, those particular issues always remain. So that's what's changed and that's what stayed the same. Yeah, it's amazing to kind of think about those stats and, and kind of, uh, you know, how we have some of those adjustments, but agriculture is definitely, you know, still the, the driving force around our, our, our communities and, and our, uh, you know, security of our state and, and, and our nation as well. And just it may look at, you know, adjust a little bit. And, you know, I think one of the other stats too, uh, Cy, that's, that's interesting to me is, you know, we're seeing more and more kind of new to the land type landowner that maybe didn't grow up on a rule or didn't grow up like you or I and, you know, on a farm and ranch um, that are that are purchasing property and, and, and moving into that ag space. And I, I think that's that's definitely interesting uh, dynamic and, and a change that that I've seen over the years as well. Um, you know, when we kind of think about this this time, the last five or six months, we, we've we've had this pandemic and uh, we, we've had those challenges for sure. Um, you know, how has Texas Farm Bureau responded to, to this pandemic and, and helping all these uh, farmers and ranchers across the state? You know, whenever you're dealing with a problem, especially in agriculture, <clears throat> there's no saying there's nothing new under the sun. But th there's really no playbook to this, Chad. We've not really experienced a situation exactly like we're in now, I guess, a, a perfect storm. So many things have happened. I guess the first thing I want to say about that is relates to agriculture. Uh, AFBF uh, started this particular um, movement and it's called Still Farming. And of course, we, we promote that here at Texas Farm Bureau. And that's what agriculture has done through all of this. Uh, we're still farming. Folks have to eat. Agriculture is absolutely a critical industry. So that's kind of where we are. We're, we're, we've not quit. We're still functioning. Our ag producers are still functioning. So we're still farming. One of the things that Texas Farm Bureau has tried to do is provide info to producers to help them make decisions through this. Um, information is always a, a great weapon and, and it's necessary to, to survive any challenge. So we've, we've tried to really give them the information that they need. We've, we've worked really extensively with elected officials and I, I'm gonna spit out a bunch of acronyms here, Chad. I mean, we've worked with the CFAP program. 
We've worked with the PPP program. We've worked with uh, MFP program. These are all programs uh, that have been designed to help agriculture get over this hump. Uh, we all know about the, the, the trade, the tariff uh, issues that we've had with China. That's hurt with agriculture. Thankfully, the administration has come up with uh, some, some programs to help, help us through that. A paycheck Protection Program. Um, those, those are all programs, though, that you have to be aware of. You have to know where to go. You have to know how to do it. And that's the information that we've been providing to our membership, um, where to go and, and, and how, to do, how to do certain things. So we've done our best to, to provide information and work closely with our elected officials. Yeah, well, thanks, Cy, for, you know, Texas Farm Bureau's leadership and, and you know, helping. And, and I, I know it's been a lot of probably many, many hours and, and, not, and probably less uh, sleep at times, uh, kind of thinking through this and, and helping us. Um, you know, also kind of just really want to maybe change the discussion a little bit and really start kind of discuss this interaction of, of Texas Farm Bureau with the Texas Agricultural Land Trust and your leadership. Um, you know, your organization played a, you know, a integral kind of role of the creation of TALT and kind of, you know, want to hear from your perspective and, and Texas Farm Bureau's perspective of, of why and the importance that you, uh, you see in, in our, our, our working lands and working landscape. Well, Chad, I guess I kind of want to start out by saying this. You know, we have a lot of landowners in, in our organization, a lot of folks with uh, ag and open space land, and, and I'm fortunate to be one of those folks as well. And one of the things that I think is common about folks that have ever made a living off the land or, or farm and ranch is that I think we all realize that we don't really own that land. We just get to use it for a little while by the grace of God. Yeah. And one of the most important things that most ag folks want to do is they simply want to leave it better than they found it. And, and I think that that's pretty common for, for most landowners, especially those that have been involved in agriculture. Along about 2005, uh, a lot of the landowner organizations in Texas uh, got concerned about the loss of open space land and, and what that represents. For many, many years now, we've seen a, a major influx of people moving to Texas. That, that's a blessing and a curse. We've got a lot of folks moving here. This is a great place to live, a great place to work. But we get, began to worry about uh, what this influx might mean to the open space and working lands of Texas. And a lot of people mean a lot of demands on your resources, a lot of demands on property, a lot of demands on food production, a lot of demand on your climate and your infrastructure. So it just made sense to kind of come up with a, a collective way to address how do we ensure that future generations are going to have open space and, and working farm and ranch lands here in the state of Texas. Uh, we're fortunate that 95% of Texas is privately owned. So uh, we, just, we just needed an alternative. We need some other tool in a landowner's toolbox to maintain ag lands here. So I, I guess that's what kind of started this discussion yeah yeah you know it's uh you know from a talk perspective and you know we you know it, it's very i'm very passionate right of, of keeping that freedom to operate and and being able to to help you know our private landowners be able to 
you know, have, have those tools, like you said, to be able to, you know, pass on that legacy and heritage and, um, you know, keep providing, you know, what, what the, basically the title of this podcast is right beyond the fence line. And, and it's, it's those important pieces, I think, sigh of, you know, the agriculture, you know, we provide, you know, the food and fiber and, uh, but so many other things of clean water and open space and, you know, et cetera, beyond that fence line, right back to the community and, and uh, agriculture is definitely in the backbone. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm proud to be with Talton, be able to provide some of those other services to help your members and, and uh, all the other, you know, farmers and ranchers in Texas of being able to, to help them with that. Um, you know, when we kind of really think about that transfer, you know, we're mints the greatest kind of transfer of wealth and land from one generation to another in our nation's history. And um, how do you see this playing out for our Texas families? Well, a lot of families now are having to make some really hard choices when they're deciding what to do with a farmer ranch. And in some cases, there are possibly no young people that want to come back and, and actually work that land. So they're having to deal with that. Uh, another element is it takes more and more a land and, and a bigger operation to make a living. Now the margins are so razor thin in agriculture that it takes a bigger operation to actually make a living. So those are two things that are having to be dealt with when you think about passing property on to the next generation. Also notice, however, that many folks and many families are being, they're engaging in really thoughtful consideration of how to do this. They're using tools that are provided and, and TALT is certainly providing a lot of those tools. They're, they're thinking about how can we do this? So while these are hard decisions, uh, at least we're having a few more options available to us. Uh, death tax comes in, you know, um, to certain families. Uh, land is worth a lot and we have a lot of folks that are cash poor, but ran land rich. And the current death tax exemption seem, uh, seem large, but in the scope of things with what land is worth now, uh, sometimes they're, they're not enough. So they've got to consider the tax consequences of what they do as well. So anyway, it's a complicated area, very complicated. Yeah, so I mean, I think when, you know, we think of some of these, um, you know, opportunities, I think in, in like what you're saying, and, you know, some of it is the, the possible, you know, current tax laws that landowners might, you know, not be aware of that they can utilize um, to help, help with this transfer. Um, what are some of your thoughts there from, you know, Farm Bureau's thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, TALT, of course, plays a, a, a critical role in this. I mean, you know, they're providing options for folks who want to protect a lifetime of work in, in a, or a generational enterprise. I mean, we, we've got to really concentrate on doing this smartly. If you make a mistake, you can pretty well wipe out a, a lifetime of work, a lifetime of savings, and sometimes generations if you make a mistake in how right. you do this. And we hate to see that kind of thing happen. So, I mean, the more informed a landowner can be, the more you explore your options, the better off you'll be. Yeah, I agree. You know, when thinking of it from a talk perspective, you know, Cy, we, you know, we have some multiple components and, and you know, we have those tools 
Um, again, they're just tools. They're not right for everyone. And, and, uh, but being able to provide them. And one of those tools is, you know, the permanent easement, right. And being able to provide that tax incentive for that family um, to, to take that conservation value of that property and be able to, to uh, utilize a tax benefit of, of that value. You know, you can utilize it for the next 15 years. And so it becomes a great tool of thinking of that transition. Um, I, I think we also have those options of, you know, a paid uh, a purchased easement too that to help provide that. And I think that becomes a great tool thinking about that transfer and that, you know, on that purchased easement component of that conservation value. Um, you know, we work with a lot of folks that utilize that as maybe an endowment to kind of help that next generation with some kind of that startup funds of overall. I, I think those are some great tools. You know, I think about when we think about taxes and, and something you, you, you just said, Cy, that, that kind of rang true to me is really thinking about, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of these uh, landowners that maybe, maybe don't have children or the children um, just aren't going to come back for whatever reasons they may and but they want to still keep that that ranch or that farm and you know, ag operation. You know, is there anything that you can think of? Um, you know, I know there's some other states of, of like uh, Kentucky, for example, that have looked at some tax incentives for this generational transfer to maybe um, new and beginning farmers. Is that something that you know? What are your kind of thoughts about that, or is that something that uh, Texas Farm Bureau is kind of thinking through? Absolutely. Uh, we have a young farmer rancher program and, and we've worked with entities like the Department of Agriculture and their Texas Agricultural Finance Authority to provide opportunities for young producers. Again, it's tougher and tougher to make a living in agriculture. And what's really tough is beginning. It, it takes so much capital to start an agricultural enterprise. So any, any tax base incentives that you can offer young farmers are, are welcome. You know, we, we talked about the uncertainty of agriculture and the variables that, that we can't predict. One thing that we can't always predict is taxes. We all know that we're gonna to have to deal with taxes. So if, if you can provide a benefit to a young farmer and rancher, and in turn, it provides a tax, tax benefit to the landowner, uh, that, that's just a win-win there. So th there's a lot of different things that can be done there, um, especially with the enhanced tax benefits that can be had through a, a conservation easement. So, you know, definitely that's something that can be used to, to help these young farmers and, and solve two problems at once. Yeah, I think those are great points. And, and it's um, something we definitely need to look for, you know, look at. And, and definitely from a talk perspective, we're here to, to help in anything that we can um, help you, Cy, on that. Um, you know, Texas Agricultural Land Trust is, you know, focused on a couple of policy uh, priorities right now, really, to try to look at benefiting agricultural landowners. And, you know, our, our key, just like yours, is that freedom to operate and provide, um, you know, those opportunities for the, these landowners to, to stay in business. And, you know, a key piece is that, you know, right, is, is uh, being financially stable, right? That, that, that to me, that's the, the biggest stool of, you know, when we talk about the three-legged stool of sustainability, you know, it's really about profitability. And I, I know you, you feel the same, same way. 
Um, you know, so we're really focused on this resiliency and the resilient landscapes and, and some water issues um, to kind of help empower that producer um, from that working um, aspect. Uh, any insight that you may want to share on, on kind of this resiliency and, and uh, water policy from a Texas Farm Bureau perspective? Well, sure, absolutely. We all, we all accept that, that our climate is changing. Uh, a lot of debate over the cause of that. But at any rate, we've got, we got 29 million people here in Texas and we're still growing. And water is and will continue to be a concern both for agriculture and urban use. We just have a finite amount of water that we have to deal with. Open space land provides those resources. I don't know where I've heard this, Chad, but there was a statement made and seemed there was a campaign taken on no land, no water. And I think that's probably true. People need to understand that when you, when you pave over land, when, uh, when you put concrete or pavement or develop it, it kind of cuts off uh, some of the water supply. It makes it hard to, hard to manage. So that, that's another place where this conservation easement and, and, and conservation of these open space lands can help. We've got to conserve our natural resources. We've got to uh, make a habitat for wildlife. Uh, we've got to produce agriculture. And open space land is basically the only way that you can do that. Um, that's that's kind of that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, you know, I think Sai, you made a, a key component or key point in that. You know, we think about our increasing population, where you know that population is getting further and further removed from agriculture, right? And and uh, you know, I think it's telling our story uh, from a from a producer perspective and. One thing I'd like to kind of share with you is kind of thinking about from the water side and, and kind of tall story in, a, in essence. So, you know, we have um, over 30 easements, over 234,000 acres, right? And, and that's a big number and it's a great number. Um, but really when we look at that 234,000 acres, uh, we're conserving over 170,000 uh, acre feet of water per year. And, you know, that's another big impressive number. But to break that down a little bit further, Cy, that, that, that uh, acre feet of water that we're, you know, conserving annually is enough water to supply the city of San Antonio for over 200 years, right? I mean, that's, that's a big impact and, and really a statement to really show what our, our, our our agricultural community, our farmers and ranchers, what they're providing um, to the to all the Texans, and, and that's that's just so important. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your your insight on that. You know, I think a, a, another topic that that's uh, you know from a policy perspective, I'd like to hear your thoughts, and it's something that's you know it's it's dear to my, you know to me as well of of just our family of. Uh, have been kind of on the, the back end and maybe not the right end on a, on eminent domain. You know, I know it's a, it's always a hot topic um, for our landowners. And um, so what resources does Texas Farm Bureau offer to the landowners and, and what are some of your policy priorities related to eminent domain? Well, thanks for that question, Chad. Eminent domain and eminent domain reform remains one of our uh, high priorities. You know, we mentioned that we've got 29 million people in Texas and growing, and, and we know that a growing state, you know, we're going to have in infrastructure needs. You're going to have to have highways and power lines and pipelines. And, you know, private landowners are not against progress 
at all, but you have to recognize the private property rights though in this state. One of the things that we do and, and we have done to provide resources for landowners when they face eminent domain, <clears throat> we, have a web, we have a website and we have a landowner's guide to eminent domain. You can find that on our website, texasfarmbureau.org. And it just gives some, just some guidelines to go by, some information. We said information is power and that's what we're trying to do is to provide some information for landowners. Um, you know, we basically want landowners to have three things when they go to negotiate uh, any type of a imminent domain case and, um, you know, bona fide offer, minimum easement terms and, and public meetings. You know, those are three very critical issues to make sure that landowners get treated fairly. Again, we're not, we're not trying to stop progress. We just pretty much insist that landowners be treated fairly when the taking is necessary. Nobody argues the need for roads or pipelines or uh, high lines. We just wanna make sure that landowners who may have to face that one time in their lives, get a fair shake from an entity that uh, basically does that every day. So that's kind of our focus on eminent domain and some of the things that we're working on and resources that we're providing. Yeah, those are, those are great points and great resources, uh, Cy. So what else is on the horizon for Texas Farm Bureau and, you know, what are you currently focused on? You know, again, some of the things stay the same. They never change. You know, I'm going to use the sustainability word, Chad. Uh, sometimes that word is used completely out of context, but we're after sustainability for agriculture. And the first element of sustainability is profitability agriculture or any other business has to be profitable before it can be sustainable. So that's probably one of the, the things that's really high up on our list. Another thing that, that we have worked on and continue to work on is fair and free trade. Uh, our folks, we've got some of the best agriculture producers in the world. And if we're allowed a, a chance at a free and fair market, we can compete with anybody in the world. What we can't compete against is foreign government subsidizing their agriculture. So we continue to strive for fair and free markets. Uh, ag producers wanna make their living from the market. We don't wanna make our living from a government payment or a subsidy. Uh, we just, we just wanna make it from the marketplace. So we're, we're trying to, to get things such as we, we can compete and, and we have a fair chance to do that. Um, Another thing that we try to do is we're just trying to accurately represent agriculture to a population that is about three generations removed from the farm, Chad. And about three generations removed, that means that not only our current population, uh, but their parents, and maybe sometimes even their parents. You, you have to go back to the grandparents to find anybody that has spent any time on a farm or ranch. And those people lose their understanding about what it takes to provide food and fiber for this country. And we need to connect with those folks. We need to introduce uh, the concept that, look, even though you're not involved in farmer ranching, even though you don't live out in the country or on a rural landscape, you depend on those entities for your food and fiber every day. So we're trying to connect with them through education, through advocacy, that we're partners in this. Um, we're a partner with you because uh, you eat every day, you wear clothes every day, and agriculture is the entity that provides that. So those are some of the things that are on the top of our list. And again, Chad, not much different than 25 years ago. Uh, just we have an intense need to, to do this now, now more than ever. 
Yeah. Well, thanks, uh, Cy. You know, first off, thanks for, you know, your leadership and uh, throughout Texas and especially for our agricultural uh, community. And, and thanks again for joining us, uh, um, you know, here on this podcast. Uh, appreciate it again. Chad, thanks so much for your efforts and your enthusiasm for TALT. I know we can do great things together collectively and uh, look forward to working with you. Yeah, I agree. Thanks. Thanks, Cy. And I look forward to, to working with you and, and Texas Farm Bureau and, and strengthening our partnership. And, you know, more some, most importantly, you know, I, I uh, you know, have this passion for, our, for our, our fellow producers and our agricultural lands and what it means to all of us. And, you know, I wake up each and every day trying to help help producers empower them to be better tomorrow than they are today. And uh, I know we can do great things together, working together. So again, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed the conversation with Cy. I, I, I know I always do uh, enjoy Cy's, uh, Cy Cook's insight and, and appreciate him joining us again today. And I hope everybody can join us on our, our episode number six, where we'll bring some producers in to kind of hear from their perspective again on, on agriculture and sustainability and, and easements and, and what it means uh, to them. So again, uh, appreciate everybody joining us and have a blessed one. Thank you. Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. 